Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to be together. And Father, I just pray, God, that you take um, the words from your scripture, God, and that you just do a work in our hearts and lives. Father, you transform us, you change us. Father, in this service today, maybe from pain to praise, Father, we could walk to. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> First Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. First Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We have 13 days until the home opener of the Tennessee Vols. We have 13 days until the home opener of the Buckeyes. We have 11 days until Georgia Tech takes Clemson on on a Thursday night. We have six days until Florida plays Miami. And we have five days until Friday night football begins. Would you think with me about the similarity between a collegiate or high school football game and a worship service? All of us will enter through a gate. They'll enter through a gate over at Neyland Stadium. They'll enter through a gate at the Buckeyes. We all enter through a door coming into this, this building. We, at a game, when you gather in, you'll have people all around. You will be high-fiving and greeting and seeing people that you've seen before. And as we come through the door here this morning, there was greeting going on, some high fives, some excitement to be here. At those games, they will all have special songs that they will sing. There's only one, and it's Rocky Top. At every... Church service, there will be special songs that will be sung. Is that true? They will get involved in the game. When it happens, you will shout for praise if your team is doing good. You may lament in sorrow if your team is doing bad. When you're in a worship service, you may be rejoicing at the goodness of God and what He's done. But you may be going through a difficult time too and you may be lamenting. But you're both involved in the game. They both have rituals. A football game has the ritual of kickoff and the coin toss. And we have the ritual of baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
And then when the game is over and the service is over, everyone will exit from where they're at. You see the similarity, don't you? We express emotion, we lament, we praise, we pray a lot. Here and there. All of mankind... What does this, why, why do they look so much alike? Because all of mankind has an inward need to worship something. To worship and be a part of something larger than they are. But the reality is for us football fans, unless you're an Alabama fan, your team will fail and disappoint you this year. Alabama fans are the only ones who have the privilege of winning year after year. <laughs> but I want you to think about this question that J.D. Greer asked in the Christ-centered exposition on Samuel. Is it possible that sporting events draw out the right kind of worship to the wrong God. Is it possible that sporting events draw out the right kind of worship to the wrong God? I believe it, it's not only possible, I believe it is true. But I think this next statement is what is troubling and I want to help us with this morning is that if you can have the right kind of worship to the wrong God, can you have the wrong kind of worship to the right God? And if a sporting event and in a football game is such as the UT or the Ohio State, We'll talk about Georgia Tech when they get past Clemson. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. It's ugly for the first game, right? So when we think about us, though, if that's the right kind of worship to the wrong game, then we come into here. The question is, is, do we have the right kind of worship? When we gather as the church in a building, and we could be the church in the parking lot or on the mountain, but what, what, what the point is, is we gather together to worship. Is it right? Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And then we will move for, further. He said, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. There is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. 
The bows of the the bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. The hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap and set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no No man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. I want you to think about number one. Number one is this. God is the focus of right worship. In these 11 verses, Hannah speaks of God 21 times. If if in these 11 verses, Hannah speaks of God 21 times, then God is her focus. God is the object of what she's dealing with. He is the object of her prayer, or maybe this is a song. But he is the object of her worship. Remember, this is after she has had Samuel. But you must remember that she became satisfied with God before she was ever pregnant. Remember chapter 1 verse 18 says that when she went away from that time at the temple, that her face was no longer sad. You see, what happened was she had a moment of worship in chapter 1. Worship will give you a peace and a hope whether your circumstances change or not. Think about that statement one more time. Worship gives peace and hope whether your circumstances change or not. We still do not see what Hannah saw in chapter 1. It is not about what Jesus can do. It is about who Jesus is. He is the prize. Let me get very personal with you this morning. Why did you come today? Did you come to see people? Did you come to talk to someone specifically? Did you come to be sure you're up to date on the latest gossip or you had some gossip you wanted to share did you come to make yourself noticed did you come so you'd feel better about yourself that you joined service or did you come to get a better perspective of life you come to see the show? Do you come to see who is not here? Why did you come this morning? 
I can tell you about all of those things that I just spoke about. They're all about us. And the focus is about us. And the focus is not about God. Why did we come this morning? When we gather together as a church to worship the right God, it is easy for us to get our focus off of Him. We gather together to worship the right God, but it doesn't take much for our focus to be turned a different way, a different direction. It might be our focus turns to who's there. Our focus turns to who's not there. Focus turns to what someone's wearing. What songs were sung? Which one's going to preach today? How did they do? Quickly, we can have the wrong kind of worship of the right God. It happens because our focus becomes on something else. Let me give you an illustration. Last year, Chandler had season tickets to the UT football game. And I think it was the opening game that he took his mom to. Yeah. Bridget is about as much a football fan as I am a quilter. Okay? But can you imagine what it would have been like had Bridget and Chandler got to their seats and sit down and ready to watch this game and Chandler had and Bridget had said to Chandler I really don't want to sit here and watch the game. I really don't. I don't want to sit here and watch the game. I, I think we ought to go to the different gates and see how the view from each gate is toward the field. I think we ought to go see what each concession stand serves. I think we ought to, I think there's some different stuff, some different pictures and some different writings on the wall around Neyland Stadium. I think we ought to go check those out. Imagine what Chandler's reaction would have been. I'm not leaving this seat. I've come because my main focus is that game. But many times we come in here with a focus to worship our God and somehow our focus becomes on something completely different than God Himself. Our focus gets changed. Our focus becomes on something else so quickly. We should prepare ourselves when we come to worship, I want you to think about these three questions. I think we can prepare ourselves with. Maybe once we're here, can we just honestly and real realistically say to ourselves, why did I come today? Why have I showed up? Maybe you might even ask that question before you leave house. You might say, why am I going today?
For whom am I here? Why am I here? Because my mom? Because my dad? Why am I here? Because my wife? Because my husband? Why am I here? Whom do I want to see most of all? Who am I looking for? Who do I want to see? Where's our focus when we come into worship? If we're going to worship right, God has to be our focus. As it was Hannah's 21 times in 11 verses. I want you to think about number two. When we talk about worship, the first place in the Word of God that the word worship is used is in Genesis chapter 22, verse number 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. This is the first time in the Scripture that the word worship is used. The very first time. Do you know what it means here? It means to be on your face before God. It means to bow before Him. To surrender all. When you think about this, the first place in the Word of God where the word worship is used, there's no gathering of people. There's no musicians, and that we know of, there's no songs sung. It's the first place in the Word of God where the word worship is used. Do you realize what is found in this chapter? A real relationship. A relationship that God knows Abraham, and Abraham knows the voice of God. It's a real authentic relationship that they know each other. Do you know what else is here? There is a real obedience here. God, God says to Abraham, I want you to go cut your son up into a bunch of small pieces and set him on fire. God has said to Abraham, I want you to do the unthinkable. I want you to do what makes no sense. What is, what has God said to Abraham? This is what God has said to Abraham. He says, I'm testing you to see, am I God or are you God? You see, on a regular basis, each of us are tested in our life. Is my life about me or is my life about God? See, for Abraham, he was obedient. He never even questioned it. He was immediate to obey. And then the Bible says that God said to him in that chapter... Because you, I see that you fear me. You see, I think in a sense, what we have done with worship is we really have, have created a God that is in our image, not in His image. 
And we come together in order to worship me instead of him. You see, when you live in a consumeristic society as we live in, where everything's about consuming, it bleeds into the worship. And we don't come to worship God. We come to see what we can get from God. And it has become about us and not Him. Number three, I want you to see this. Number three is simply, last week I spoke with you, right worship Right worship is not only what God is our focus. Right worship is not only that Jesus is the Lord of our life and we're willing to give our life to Him. But right worship is in spirit and in truth. Last week I also shared not only uh, about Hannah last week and the woman at the well, but I'm going to do it again this week. Last week it was Hannah was looking for a baby, uh, a child in order to be her Savior. Right? She needed a child in order to feel like she was saved, feel like she had accomplished something. Remember the woman at the well? The woman at the well was seeking one man after another man. She said, go and tell your husband. And what did she say? She said, I don't have any husbands. Jesus said, I know you've had five and the one you've got is not yours. The whole point of that scripture is that that lady had been going from one man to another man to another man, hunting some man to save her, to be her savior instead of Jesus. But then, after that Jesus says these things about her husband, she says this, I perceive that you're a prophet. So then she enters into a theological debate with Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine? Let's enter a theological debate with Jesus. <laughs> and she says, the Jews say that we should worship on this mountain, and the Samaritans say we should worship on this mountain. Where should we worship? And John 4, 23, look at what he says. says, the hour is coming. Right before this in 22, he says, not on this mountain nor that hour. The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. I want, I want you to I want us to think about this right worship is done in spirit and in truth. Who will they worship? They'll worship the Father. Who was Hannah's focus? The Father. Who should be our focus when we come here? The Father. God ought to be our Father. We're expecting to see him. We're expecting to receive from him. I want you to Think with me about this. Who will they, how will they worship in spirit and in truth? What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? I feel like that God taught me what I'm fixing to share, you, share with you while I was in India. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, chapter 2, verse 14 says that we cannot know the Word of God without the Spirit of God. 
We cannot worship God without spirit and in truth. We cannot worship God without a relationship with God. We cannot worship God if He is not the Lord of our life. Listen, I want you to think about this. If, if we are to worship in spirit and in truth, if we can't know the Word of God without the Spirit of God, then I want you to think about this, then you and I can't worship God without the Spirit of God. Now stay with me. Say, what does that mean? What does that mean? What, what does the Spirit of God do? It reveals truth, right? What does the Spirit of God do in worship? It ought to reveal God. But you know what we can do, and this is what I think we do more than we don't, is that we can worship in the Spirit of man. And the spirit of man says what? I'm here because I need to be fulfilled. I'm here because I need to be satisfied. I'm here because I need this. And I think this song will do it. And I think this kind of preaching will do it. And I think this music will do it. And I think this musician will do it. And I think this will do it. And all of this, what we have created, is the worship of self. It's the American consumerism invades our worship. If we're going to worship Him, we're going to have to worship Him with the Spirit that He placed on the inside of us to worship Him. I want you to think about this. What does Ephesians 5.18 say? Do not be drunk with wine. It is a waste. But be you filled with the Spirit. Do you realize that it is a command for us to be filled with the Spirit? It's a command. For some reason, we as Baptists think that when we get saved, the Spirit comes in and that we're forever filled. And it's not true. The Spirit of God does come in when we get saved. But there is a command for us to be continually ongoing, being filled. The ideal is this, that there are times when you won't be filled. There are times you'll be empty. And when you are empty, then what rules in your life? The Spirit of man. And the Spirit of man wants what? Wants to feed the flesh. Needs to be satisfied with something of the flesh. But we ought to be filled with the Spirit so that we can what? Worship Him in the Spirit. Seek Him in the Spirit. But it's not only the Spirit, it's also the truth. The truth. We can worship God wrong by not really knowing Him. Matt Chandler, in one of his, I don't know how old the sermon is, but Matt Chandler in a recent sermon was talking about worship and talking about knowing him. Said this. You think about this. He said, if I go up to my wife and I say to her, you have the prettiest black hair and green eyes. I have ever seen. 
Well, that's good, but Matt's wife is blonde hair and blue eyes. It was almost right. right? Matt says almost right. But it wasn't correct. You see, we've got to know who we're worshiping. That we may have the right knowledge. That we may acknowledge Him and come to Him in a way that is right worship. Can't just play. There's too many people with too many opinions and not letting the Word of God speak for what the Word of God says. Too many opinions. many ideals well I think this and I think that and I think this and, and nobody ever says but the word of God says this so it really doesn't matter what we think it matters what the word of God says so it's worship in truth the Father is seeking such. Do you realize that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost? But do you realize that the Father is seeking those who will worship Him? It's the only thing in the Word of God that the, that the Bible says that God is seeking. Jesus is seeking the lost. But the only thing the Bible says that the Father seeks is those who will worship. Worship how? Worship Him as the focus. Worship Him as Lord of our lives. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. But why? Why the necessity of worship, Chris? Why, why such an emphasis on worship? Because worship transforms us. Number four. Worship transforms us. Let me remind you of chapter 1. Hannah was in misery because of a rival, uh, and his, her husband's other wife, who relentlessly took jabs at her. Hannah had a husband who tried to love her. He tried to provide for her. But when you look at the story, you have to believe. I want you to think about this. You have to believe that when you look at this, this story of Hannah, that she must have thought, Elkanah, you're just not getting it. I know there's not a single wife in the building that has ever felt like her husband just didn't get her. Oh, y'all can... Be liars if you want to. I've been married for 27 years. I, now, I know how often I've not got my wife. I know. Transforms us. She did not just have pain on the outside from her husband not getting her and her arrival who was relentless about poking jabs at her what was a cultural failure. She had pain on the inside. She was sorrowful and bitter. When we are unable, oh, 
think about this. When we are unable to control the circumstances, when there is nothing we can do to change what is going on, we can't change anything about it. Right, though, right, right at that time in your moment, if you don't worship, you will become bitter. We must worship in order to keep from becoming bitter over things we can't control. Stay with me. It was not just on the outside or the inside, but part of Hannah's pain was with God. She cried out to him in bitterness and anguish, begging him not to forget her. It was not the promise of a child that changed Hannah's attitude, because there was no promise when she left that day without her, uh, with her face changed, being no longer sad. Something changed in her heart. And it happened when we worshipped. You say, it didn't seem worshipful in chapter 1. It was worship. You know why? Because she said, me, a child, all that I have, it's yours. You could almost compare it to Abraham and Isaac. I've come just for you, Father. It's you. Only you. You see... When we bow our lives to him and we recognize and know that having him is better than our circumstances being changed. When we bow our lives to him, when we have made him the focus, when we're worshiping him in spirit and truth. And we recognize whether our circumstances are changed or not. Having him is better than my circumstances being different. I feel like I'm going to sidetrack and every time I do this I get in trouble. And Josh says don't do that but I can't help myself this morning. Because God really, really, I don't, you, maybe he spanked me. After I got back from India. Maybe that's what it was. But I, I was in India and I, I, I was just, as I, when I got back and I looked back and I was just thinking, man, I, I'm just, I was just like overwhelmed by God, how God used me over there. I thought, man, I don't know if I can do this eight hour a day teaching. And it was just amazing what God was doing in my life over there. And I get home and I'm studying and so passage in Luke where the 70 had gone out and they come back and they were saying, man, the demons obey us and this works and well, we're healing people and we're just having a time of our life. And Jesus says to them, don't rejoice over what you've been doing. Don't rejoice over what I've done through you. Rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God said, Chris, don't you celebrate what I've done through you more than what I've done for you. That's what I'm telling you about worship. 
is worship. It brings our heart to a place that he's more important than our circumstances being what we want them to be. He's better than those things. You see, in Hannah's prayer, she worshiped the right God with the right worship. Will you look at these quickly? He's on the screen. The next. From pain to praise, worship transforms us. From pain to praise. In verse 2, what you find is her praising God, the God she thought had forgot her. Remember in her prayer, she said, Lord, remember me. In verse 3, you find her praising God for overcoming her enemy. In verse 8, you find her praising God for being, uh, allowing her to be a part of his story. <laughs> That's the thing. Is this thing's God's story and he just allows us to fit in the middle of it. Or an edge of it. And a part of it. Verse 8, she praises him for his sovereignty. Verse 10, she praises God for his plan to provide a king as Savior. Hannah moves from pain to praise instead of from pain to bitterness because she bowed herself to him. Can I ask you today, is God your focus is he whom you come to see? Is Jesus your Lord? What does it mean? We don't understand the word Lord. It, it, it means that his rules, his ways, and what he says goes. And that we don't have a say-so in the matter. Is he your Lord? Are you worshiping in his spirit? Worshiping him with his spirit and his truth? Or have you made God to be who you want him to be? See, when we truly worship, I believe we'll truly be transformed. What's tough, though, is week after week after week, we can sit and never be transformed because the focus remains on us and not on Him. Because when you're full of who you are, you will never worship who He is. We're not going to do communion this morning because I don't want us to be distracted by that. They're going to come and sing a song. And I want us to stand together. And I want us to sing this song. I want us to think about what's being said. I want us to really evaluate and say, God, when's the last time I really worshipped you, Father? When was that? When was that?